Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. I know we've been talking about energy policy a lot. We've been talking about it in Europe. We've been talking about it nationwide. Let's talk about a specific locality, North Carolina, an area I'm very familiar with, because I think there's some lessons here for us to learn from everywhere else by talking to Elijah Gullett, another great Young Voices uh, contributor. Elijah, great to see you today. Thank you, sir, for having some time for us. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, Appreciate you being here Let, let's start a little big picture because we've been covering this it seems like at least once or twice a week we're talking energy policy right now it's not just gas though it's not just electrical generation i think we're, we're doing a little force for the trees thing here where we keep going into one little part of this and losing the entire big picture because you know with our friends from germany last week germany and the eu by extension having terrible issues it's because of the policies that led up to it not just the events the policies they had in place did not meet the events correctly it feels like America's doing the same problem where our previous policies aren't meeting the current events. We can't fix it for the back end of it. it sure feels like we're not learning any lessons in the present, and we're just going to make this worse as we go down the road. Is that how it feels to you too? Definitely so. Um, I think a lot of the problems with... Sorry, I'm going to repeat that. Um, yes, definitely. I think we have sort of used a very short-term uh, perspective on energy policy, energy policy in this country, where we focus on what looks good, what's good to, uh, what makes us seem progressive, or like we're trying to pursue, pursue the, some higher uh, environmental goal, and that makes complete sense. But at the same time, we need to be thinking in the long term. What happens when these sort of uh, massive events like Russia invading Ukraine happen that will inevitably have uh, effects on the rest of the world's energy. What happens when we have environmental events that cause blackouts or make it difficult for us to get energy to people? Uh, so thinking sort of long-term is definitely necessary here. And we are already seeing California's warning about energy shortfalls. We know what happened in Texas last year and they're warning it may happen again. We know there's not enough, the grid's not going to hold up. We just know that right now. We need more power generation. We have reduced fossil fuels. We've closed coal plants and these sort of things. We're trying to step up renewable energy, which is a finding in and of itself. Just the abject facts on the ground, there's a gap in energy production for this country because we're growing, because we don't have enough energy. Why don't we ever start with that part of the argument? It seems like we're doing this backwards where we're talking about policy stuff of what we want to happen instead of starting with, we need X amount of energy right now. How do we get it? Does that feel like the conversation is inverse to you? Because that's how it feels to me as we've covered this over and over again, is everybody's starting with, well, this is what we want to happen. 
energy, you, you either got it or you don't. Shouldn't we start with that? It's like, hey, we need X amount of energy and we need it right now. Yeah, definitely. I think it's because people who are pushing the conversation, who are doing the policy work, are often disconnected from what the average person experiences on the ground. The average person on the ground is experiencing, you know, rising energy costs that they get um, for their electricity bills, their gas-powered bills. Every month, they're seeing still pretty high gas prices at the pump. Um, and I think people outside of, you know, middle America, regular Americans lives aren't really feeling those effects as much. And so they can think in these bigger theoretical terms, but they're ignoring what we need now to make people's lives better. Yeah, you were writing a Carolina Journal about nuclear power. We know there's a movement where people are taking a second look at it. Some of the, you know, not to stereotype, but, you know, the previous generation, the boomers and them that really had an aversion to nuclear, they're kind of maybe softening and this new generation doesn't have the same bugaboos, but people are taking a second look at nuclear. Even the green parties in Europe are mm -hmm. starting to take a second look at nuclear. Talk about why folks push nuclear. I'm one of them. So I'm biased. I'll put that on the table. It's not just because it's a good idea. There's practical parts to this. Like we just talked about it. It's an energy source. It's a clean energy source. It's got a lot of upfront costs, so it's not perfect. But when you're talking about grids and you're talking about the issues we're having, consistent long-term energy generation, there's just nothing quite as good as nuclear that we have in the arsenal right now, is there? Definitely not. I mean, it's not perfect. Like you said, there's a lot of upfront costs. It's not always economical, especially with large power plants. But it is some of the things that made coal, coal gas so uh, convenient and uh, sustainable, not environmentally, but sort of you know, always having a consistent source of energy available. And also the goals that we have with renewable energy. It's a clean energy source. It produces it's zero carbon emissions. It's not just the carbon emissions, though, is it? Because, again, let, let's just stay on the practical level, because I think we get into the policy and the buzzwords too much and we kind of lose sight of this. You got to put electricity in people's homes. It's mm -hmm. not just that it's clean energy. It's consistent and it's clean. And you need those two things together because when you're talking about environmental policies, one of the beefs, and I think it's a legitimate criticism of new renewable energy is like, look, the windmills don't always turn. The sun doesn't always shine for solar. You, they're good technologies, but energy has to be consistent. And energy policy has to be consistent. And if you're not going to burn fossil fuels, which we know that can be consistent because that's the supply chain for the last 150 years in this country, this is the route to go. Talk about the practical application of nuclear power. You know, things like cost, things like just getting it generated. This sort of things is the part we don't seem to talk about very much, does it? Yes. And a lot of the problem with energy and nuclear energy production is rooted in federal uh, bureaucracy, to be frank. Uh, the Nuclear uh, Regulatory Commission has recently been... Uh, helping to close down or try to push for the closing down of nuclear plants in states like Florida. Thankfully, North Carolina still has three nuclear plants that are actively running that already employ people. It is already providing about a third of energy production in North Carolina at this moment. And it's already proving to be a consistent source. If we can amp that up, especially in light of Roy Cooper's uh, and the, uh, North Carolina House's recent bill, uh, HB 951. Uh, this would be a great opportunity for us to meet both the needs of regular North Carolinians and meet our carbon emission goals. Now, we know there is political uh, parts to this. 
North Carolina is a little unique. It is very much a battleground kind of state politically. You have a Democratic governor. You have a uh, Republican um, legislature. Little less, it's not the supermajority it was a few years ago, but still strongly Republican. Uh, this is a state that Donald Trump won. This is a state with a too-close-to-call Senate race right now. This is a battleground state by any definition of the word. Should we be looking at it, though, and pointing to things like California keeping Diablo Diablo Canyon open? That's one of the most progressive states in the country, and they're even saying, look, we've got to go this route. Can we use those kind of examples to try to cut through some of the some of the partisanship here and go, look, libertarian, conservative, progressive, purple hippopotamus, you need electricity in your house, and this is the way we need to go? Yes, definitely. I mean, California uh, recent work with Diablo Canyon is a perfect example of this because it shows that even in a state where, which was literally where anti-nuclear movements were born in the United States, are still being a are frankly being forced to by the realities on the ground to allow and uh, continue to provide nuclear energy, and this can provide as a source of uh, this. Sorry, over that point. This can be a great. Um, point in North Carolina that we don't want to end up on the same route that California is where they're trying to, where they have to make these really kind these hard decisions about what they keep open. We can keep being on this pro-nuclear route that we've already and continue to increase production of that to meet these goals that we've set out in HB 951 without making the types of hard compromises that California has. What about, again, a state like North Carolina? This is an opposite coast. It's a coastal area. People in the coastal areas, which are growing fast, Brunswick County is one of the fastest growing counties in the entire country. Raleigh Durham is one of the fastest growing urban areas in the country. These are people that, whether they're conservative or progressive, are also very environmentally conscious. We see that down in Wilmington, where I, where this radio program goes out. Even the conservative folks are more environmentally conscious than other because they live in, you know, they live in a very amazing place with the Carolina coastline. How do we pitch environment? Because to so many on the right, environmentalism has become a bad word. But this kind of environmentalism with nuclear power and clean energy and consistent energy, we should be able to pitch that to the conservation part of the right wing, and they should just fit that like a glove. How do we use that terminology and meld it? Because I think sometimes the nomenclature gets in our own way of this conversation, doesn't it? It definitely does. And there's great work being done on this from organizations like the American Conservation Coalition uh, that are working to... Uh, who are working with Republicans to develop conservative climate policies um, and use language that makes more sense to conservatives and Republican voters on environmental issues. And I think nuclear energy, once again, is this great bridge between environmentalists and the conservative movement, because you can also sort of bring in this economic perspective. This is a great way to create jobs, create infrastructure, and uh, free especially for the state of North Carolina, to remain this incredibly economically uh, growing state. Yeah, we're talking to Elijah Gullett. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue to talk about energy, his piece in North Carolina. It's also got an op-ed out about clean energy transition, how to make it a little bit easier. And the problem ain't us and the problem ain't the media. Once again, that R word regulation, it's all in the details how these sort of things work. Elijah Gullett continues to join us on Hertel right after this. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
my guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we're back with Elijah Gullett on Herd Tell. That's him. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Glad you're sticking with us. We're talking energy uh, once again. Again, I think just about at least once a week for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about energy with a guest. But it's that important because everybody uses it. And it's one of the big costs that everybody has because your electric bill, especially if you live you know, places like North Carolina where you have a hot summer, that's one of your major expenses after your house and your car. That's probably the next biggest thing you pay. How do we, we talk the political, we talk the policy. Economically, though, this has a great impact. That's why everybody's talking about energy. That's why Europe's in a panic right now with winter coming and, and their fuel bills are going through. And we just talked to our German friends where they're stealing fire from Germany, which I can't imagine. Talk about the economic side of this, because let's just be real. Let's be grown folk here. People don't pay attention to economic issues unless it starts to hurt or affect them, right? Energy policy is definitely affecting people. We saw the gas prices over the summer. That's kind of subsiding a little bit. But winter prices, rolling blackouts, this stuff gets people politically engaged in a great big hurry, don't it? Definitely so. Um, and I think, you know, a really idealistic form of energy policy is only going to make that work. Focusing on sort of exclusively on these bigger goals that we have in regards to carbon emissions, as great as those goals are and as much as we do need to meet them, we can't ignore the facts on the ground. We can't ignore the day-to-day needs of Americans and regular people. We can't ignore the fact that people need to light their homes, be able to cook dinner, you know, do the basic drive to work, all the basic things that we do on a day-to-day basis. One of those day-to-day basis things, though, um, is <laughs> we've been covering on our show, I, I call it governing by inertia. The bureaucratic state just keeps rolling along regardless of what we do, and it does it day-to-day whether we pay attention to it or don't. We pay attention to it during things like COVID because all of a sudden we realize how regulation works. You were writing, and you wrote a piece in the Center Square. We'll link to this and his other piece. Make sure you read the whole thing for yourself and share it. You wrote about the regulation of energy. We know the Texas blackout, that came because of regulation. We know the California threat of blackouts. A lot of that has to do with regulation. Talk about regulation, because that's the piece of this that people don't really see, but they feel it. But there's a disconnect there, isn't there, where folks aren't putting those two things together too often. Yeah. So in my article, I focus on the National Environmental Protection Act. Uh, This is a 1970s legislation that basically allows um, any activist group to use the courts to stop projects that they believe might be damaging. Now, the law has not has sometimes produced 
other outcomes than otherwise. It's been able to prevent genuinely polluting or dangerous development in residential neighborhoods. But at the same time, it has been used to block energy, including things like nuclear. Uh, and these types of regulations, I think, made sense in one part, in one you know time in our history, but make less sense now when we have these better technologies. Where you know we need clean energy, we need nuclear energy, we also need solar and wind that are also being blocked by things like NEPA. Um, and these laws desperately need to be reformed so we can do the kinds of energy production that we're going to need to both meet people's day-to-day -day needs with energy and also meet our own carbon goals. And you talked about it in your other piece on nuclear power in North Carolina at the Colorado Journal, but it applies to this piece as well and applies to this whole conversation. It's not that we don't want renewable energy. Energy needs to be like a lot of other complex problems. Your your pet thing isn't going to solve the entirety of the problem. And you wrote about it in your language, and I think it's the right terminology. You talk about this needs to be an all of the above approach. Well, what hinders all of the above is regulation, right? Oftentimes, yes. Um, so like I mentioned, you know, laws like NEPA as well as some other federal regulations and state level NEPAs often are in the way of us doing, like I said, the clean energy production that we need. Uh, they're used to block uh, both solar, wind, natural gas, and nuclear all the time. Uh, and if we want to do an all of the above approach, which I believe we need in order to meet both basic human needs and environmental goals, we're going to need to loosen up some of these things or to at least reform these types of regulations to meet modern day needs. These are outdated regulations. They desperately need reform. Now, you're a UNC Chapel Hill guy. Uh, for the purposes of this conversation, we're not going to hold that against you. Uh, <laughs> however, um, talk about how this is being discussed by the current generation coming up through college, because like you said, the anti-nuclear stuff really started on college campuses in the 60s and 70s. Not, for, not, And to be fair to them, not for ungood reason. The Cold War, people were scared. You had some events that, you know, scared people. I get that. So, I, you know, I don't want to just overly bash them. People are products of their times. What's the current rising generation? Because it does feel like even progressive folks, even environmental folks, there seems to be a change here. You were on UNC's college campus. You're still plugged into that community. Is that real or is that just something in the media? I think that shift you're noticing is definitely real. Uh, so as a student at UNC, I took quite a lot of environmental policy and energy policy classes. And it was really interesting that you'd have a range of students, regardless of their ideological positions, recognize that nuclear was a good thing, that nuclear was clean energy, we needed more of it, and it was a great way to meet both the basic needs that I mentioned, as well as a lot of our clean energy goals. Uh, I think that anti-nuclear thing was mostly the result of a very specific type of very, let's just say boomer uh, activism from the 60s and 70s. And it probably doesn't hold as much anymore. And I think modern day environmental groups need to basically kind of get up with the times, you know? I don't think young people are motivated by anti-nuclear things anymore. I, I find, you tell me, because we're I'm a little bit older than you, so we're different generations a little bit. Um, I think environmentalism, and I know that word's gotten moved, and climate change, and green policy, and conservation, you know, the way I was raised rural in West Virginia, conservation's a big deal because we want to keep our state pristine and grew up in the woods and things like this. Whatever terminology you want to put on it, I think this is the one issue that I see people getting more and more heterodox on. I see more and more crossover on it. I already mentioned in Wilmington, you get people that are, you know, 
even really conservative people, they, they're really touchy on environmental issues. You see progressive people that, you know, maybe they're get real interested in school choice issues after COVID. I think there's a real chance to do some bipartisan stuff on environmentalism if we go past the buzzwords and we get to what we all want, which is a nicer place to live with better energy options. And we take care of both, you know, the environment and we conserve it for future generations. But we also take care of ourselves economically. I think those things can all go together. Give me a couple things language wise, because a lot of this is going to be how we discuss it on social media. Let's be honest amongst ourselves. It's not going to be the policy and the white paper and the wonky stuff. How should people be talking about this to each other, just common folks to push the ball forward on things like conservation and environmentalism? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, we can talk about preserving American landscapes. I think this is something we can all agree on. All of us want to see, you know, America is this large, beautiful country with lots of natural land that's barely touched by people. I think all of us can agree that this is something we all care about. Even if we disagree on the specifics of policy, none of us want us to, you know, destroy our natural national parks or our, um, you know, Smoky Mountains or anything like that. Uh, so I think talking about it in terms of American land and preserving American land is something we can all agree on. Um, I think, and also kind of brings in this patriotic aspect. Uh, I also think talking about it in terms of economic growth or jobs or uh, things like that is a really good opportunity. The way that in, uh, environmental policies like green energy production and battery production and environment and electric vehicles e-bikes or anything like this can bring new jobs into our community. This is another great opportunity for us to, I think, reach across the aisle for people who care more about the environmental stuff and people who care more about the economic stuff. All right, so the, the side part of that, Elijah Gullah continues to join us, is that's what we do in our language. We have to put that into black and white somewhere. I think one other piece of this that's kind of been missing because I, you know, I just sit here and talk about this stuff, but I talk to knowledgeable people like you about it. Something I've noticed is I think we forget that there's multiple layers of government here. You mentioned it and you've mentioned it in your advocacy and some of the stuff you write in, though. There's really three different layers to this to advance. There's the federal stuff that everybody pays attention to because we have a nationalized media. There's a lot of things local and state level that people could get involved in, especially at the local level, because environmental stuff, those, those meetings are usually not as well attended as like the school board riots we've been seeing. And I'm using that a little facetiously. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things local level you can do environmentally and for the and for conservation and people just don't take advantage of it. There's stuff at the state level you can do. We need all three of those things looking and firing on all cylinders for this. And part of that is engagement with folks doing things at a local level. And that doesn't seem to be getting discussed as much, does it? Yeah, for sure. I think in a lot of ways, we need to renew this idea, sort of an old school environmental idea that planting trees and taking care of your backyard matters a lot and can make a really big difference. So trees are a major uh, source for carbon sequestration. And, uh, you know, even just getting your friends together, cleaning up a park, planting some trees, learning about your natural environment and what's happening around you, all of that can make a difference. And I think it's something that gets lost a lot of times in the modern environmental movement. So you're saying all that Arbor Day tree planting we did back in the 80s and 90s was not for naught? I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we need more of that. Is that uh, still I think a thing? It, do they still do that? 
Uh, I think some organizations do. I know a few uh, organizations that still do that kind of work. So, yeah. That was a big thing when I was a kid. We, every you know, you had to go out and plant trees and such, but, and we had plenty of trees where I grew up in West Virginia, trust me, but still, uh, Elijah Gala joining us, having a little fun with it. Uh, one more thing on this environmental thing. Um, we use North Carolina's example. We talked about California. That's a battleground state and that's a deep blue state. We have a lot of deep red states and an environmentalism, like we said, is kind of a dirty word. We, we, we already talked about this a little bit, but put a political spin on it because it's not going to be a hot button issue because the economy and, of course, we got other political things going on. What would you like to see from some politicians on the right that would start showing like, hey, you can not only talk about this, but you could talk about it in a way of talking about responsible government and government accountability and job creation and all these other auxiliary issues. How would you like to see the right kind of address this better as they start campaigning over the next couple of cycles? Yeah, so I think the first one is sort of a lot of those permitting reforms, those regulations I was talking about before. I think this is something that both the left and the right can really work together on, is seeing the way that a lot of the regulations we have in place are inhibiting the kinds of environmental goals we want to meet, as well as our economic goals. They're also making it harder to get uh, energy production jobs happening on the ground. And I think this would be one really good tool that a lot of uh, Republicans in deep red states could use to talk about and also reach across the aisle. I think another topic that um, Republicans could be working on right now would be on uh, green energy production. This kind of goes in hand with the regulation and but talking more about how we can get good jobs in this country, how we can incentivize the market to produce green energy in this country in our own without having to depend on Saudi Arabia or Russia or other countries for uh, fuel or anything that we currently do. Yeah, Elijah Gallet, outstanding information on energy. Uh, you're new to the program, but you're a friend. We will have you back. But friends hold friends accountable, so I have to point out something to you. On your Twitter feed, on August the 30th, you wrote, and I quote, everyone I know woke up exhausted today which I think was socially engineered by Starbucks for Pumpkin Spice Latte Day. Elijah Gollett, defend your tweet. <laughs> I literally, everyone I work with and everyone I was talking to do that, that day was like literally exhausted. And for me, at least, it definitely incentivized me to go get coffee because that was the day that they dropped like all their fall drinks or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm already exhausted. I need, I desperately need more caffeine. I guess I might as well go get one. It's hap It's right there. It's right across from my house. I'll just do go do it. Yeah, I'm. Of course, I can't drink coffee if I want to, but I like to poke the coffee drinkers. And of course, I've got teen girls, and they always want to go to Starbucks for school. But I, we were joking that there's a there's two Americas. There's the America that summer ends sometime in the middle of September, and then there's summer ends that when they bring out all the pumpkin spice and school starts. That's when summer actually ends. Like when I went in Harris Teeter and they reel out the entire palette of pumpkin spice Cheerios, I was like, up oh, summer's over. And then school starts. <laughs> That's the real break for me. What about you? <laughs> I'm definitely in that category. I like fall way more than summer. I'm, I'm I wanted to happen sooner rather than later. So I, I am a fall guy. I I don't even like wearing shorts. I like a little bit of chilly weather. Great football. Football's back. I love fall, man. Fall's the best for me. Of course, I grew up in West Virginia, so the, the, that leaf change. If you've never lived where it's just a blanket of green, and then all of a sudden you get all the collars, it's it's absolutely amazing. Elijah Gallet, really have enjoyed this. Uh, we're going to have you back, but until folks get you on Hertel again, let them know where they can follow you, what you have going on, and how they can keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again. 
Yep. So you can follow me at marketurbanists on twitter.com. You can also see my work uh, with the American Conservation Coalition, where I'm a branch leader for the Raleigh-Durham area. Yep, which is a darn fine place to be in the fall. Summer, not so much. But Raleigh-Durham in the fall, I'm getting ready to spend some time in Durham here this 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 fall, but it's not going to be pleasant, unfortunately. But uh, great city in the fall if you've never had a chance to visit it. Uh, Elijah, great stuff. Really appreciate the conversation. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.